Macworld Podcast number 429 for October 14th, 2014. Brought to you by The Great Courses. Learning at your pace, whenever and wherever you like. I'm joined today by Mr. Paul Kent, the man responsible for Macworld Expo slash Macworld iWorld. And this is kind of a momentous day for us here. Uh, The news has come out that, uh, well, Paul, why don't you tell us what the news is? Sure, Chris. So this morning, IDG announced that Macworld iWorld will be going on hiatus and will not be held in 2015. Okay, so hiatus um, sounds like a polite way of saying it's gone. So is it a polite way of saying it's gone or what? I mean, can you give us a little more depth on what that means? Well, we've announced that it's not going to happen in 2015. And we're going to take some time now to really relook at the models for offering an event in the Apple industry. So we are going to continue on with the Mac IT event. That's been very successful for us. But doing a consumer-based, fan-based, community-based show in the Apple market has just proved challenging since Apple pulled out of the show in the uh, in 2009. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people said so. When Apple pulled out, I think the immediate reaction was, okay, that's it. That's done. And then it came back, and people were very enthusiastic about it. I mean, you didn't get kind of the Apple crowds that you got before, but there was still, I think, some surprise. I know there were a lot of fence sitters that first year, and then the next year they came back and said, this is worth putting our time into, right? Yeah, certainly. You know, over the the four years that we operated the event without Apple, we had a lot of uh, successes and we did a lot of innovative things. And we continued to try to find, you know, those magic combinations of things that would appeal to the core community that has supported the show for years and years, but also expand the audience. I mean, you know, the show has been in San Francisco for 30 years Mm -hmm. and we actually have a sizable community of people who've attended for all 30 years. But one thing about the show being uh, in one place for so long is some of the longtime exhibitors would share that, you know, I've met those people. And so there were a lot of uh, moving parts as to why this uh, decision came about. I mean, certainly our world has changed a lot. I mean, if you think about the last Macworld where Apple was participating, um, think about the largest exhibitors. Um, you know, Dr. Bot was, you know, one of the largest exhibitors mm-hmm. and, you know, we know what's going on with them. And uh, there were two or three camera manufacturers, major, uh, major brand camera manufacturers. Well, they're direct competitors with Apple in many ways now, and they're not participating in shows. There were a lot of case manufacturers that were in the top 10 largest exhibitors. It's just very different now. And, and finding those big exhibitors that really are... Uh, kind of the financial stability of what a trade show has has proved challenging over the last couple of years. We've wanted to add more software to the show because that's what attendees have asked for. But a lot of software developers now are selling less expensive software. Mm -hmm. And trade shows are expensive. I mean, to be frank, it just costs a lot of money to turn the lights on in Moscone. And um, that's why we're taking a step back to take a look at locations, venues, approach, format, and different formulas. And, you know, Maybe the show will come back someday, but for right now, the message is is that the show is not going to happen in 2015, and then it's on hiatus. Right. Well, we've certainly seen lots of changes at Macworld Print, which is no longer around, macworld.com. Um, this is another IDG enterprise, and I think maybe the first knee-jerk, knee-jerk reaction is going to be, well, IDG you know, can't cope in the modern world. But And I, would, I said the same thing about the print magazine, and I'll say this about the show, I think, is that it's not so much that, it's just that the world has changed a lot. Oh, absolutely. I, I was at a talk the other day um, 
Gavin Newsom, who's the Lieutenant Governor of California, was talking about disruption and, and about technical disruption. Um, and he was talking about how in the city of San Francisco, in one year, taxi revenues are down 65% because of the disruption of things like Lyft and Uber. Mm-hmm. 65%, whereas disruption you know, used to take decades to, to right. affect. In 12 months now, businesses can go different. And so IDG is, is a large publishing endeavor. I mean, think about the New York Times, USA Today, the Wall Street Journal. Every traditional model print company is really working hard. And these are not not simple problems. They're very, very difficult problems. You've got legacy um, employees who have learned the business one way, thousands of them. Um, you've got models. You've got financial models. And, and there's, there's not been great examples of large publishing companies and you know, trade shows are you know traditionally part of publishing companies because of the marriage of content and events. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not great models, um, and you know I have confidence that IDG will figure it out. I mean, these are really smart publishing industry people, but this is very, very, very hard problems. And so, taking some time, downsizing is one tack to it, and taking some time to figure out you know what the right mix of offerings are to satisfy. I mean, ultimately, the market will speak if you're doing it right. right? You know. Um, finding the right mix of offerings that will service the buyers of products and the sellers of products is uh, is something that we need to continue to look at to find the most effective way to, to service. Well, it seemed to me that you always faced a chicken and egg problem, which is people would say, well, and this is post Apple being there, uh, where people, attendees would say, well, I'm not going to come because there are not enough vendors there. And vendors would say, well, we may not exhibit because there are not enough attendees. Now, I know you tackled this problem for years. I mean, so what was what was the approach and ultimately what happened? We start with the exhibitors. You know, we have to have something credible, you know, to put out onto mm-hmm. the show floor. And then, you know, attendees can evaluate, you know, whether it's worth their time to come. And like I said, our industry changed a lot. I mean, bigger exhibitors turned into smaller exhibitors mm-hmm. very quickly. And, you know, starting back when Apple introduced the iPod, you know, Macworld started to get saddled with this iPod right, case world. Cases, right. right. And so, and you know, this is, um, you know, if you go into an Apple store and look at the walls of third-party products, you know, what is it? It's cases and right. headphones and batteries. And, you know, so the industry is a lot of that. And then the software developers, you know, these are internet entrepreneurs, you know, largely they're either selling, you know, in the Apple world, certainly they're selling through the app stores. They're not using traditional marketing models. And, you know, so, so we're challenged with a b- bunch of things. Interestingly enough, I actually think that there's a wave now of hardware products, you know, things like Nest, you know, things like Beacons, products that are building Apple technologies into them, all the products that may soon be coming out to support Apple's health, wearables, you know, that might make for a more interesting trade show. Um, but we're just starting to see that that rise now. Uh, and again, our approach was to do this for consumers. Mm-hmm. There are not many, I, in fact, I can't think of any consumer open to the public trade shows for in the technology space anymore. Right. Um, and there's a reason for that. I mean, if you're an exhibitor and you're going to spend a lot of money and someone's going to walk up to your booth and say, give me a demo, that's interesting. I'll take one. <laughs> right. That's a challenge model as yeah. opposed to the business to business models, you know. And previously, Macworld had a healthy mix of both. It had a, it had a credible buzz. Um, that uh, we're drawing different types of exhibitors um, and different types of buyers, you know, institutional buyers, corporate buyers, types of things that were part of the dynamic of the show, uh, you know, being uh, useful to all participants. But that dynamic has certainly changed quite a bit. And, you know, we see this all over. I mean, certainly the the effort to put on an Apple 
oriented pavilion at CES. That kind of had its rise and, and fall and glory as well. It's challenging to do this in the Apple market. So the Macworld brand has meant a lot. The Macworld show has meant a lot to people over the years. I think we've serviced people in a very admirable way. And, uh, and we launched a lot of careers. We launched a lot of new companies, a lot of new products, a lot of professional relationships have been forged through Macworld. And, and these are things that we're really, really proud of. But the world is changing now, and it's, it's time to take a look at the best way to approach it. Well, because this is uh, the world we live in, and there is the internet, and there is social media, and there are many people in the world who know everything about everything, there's going to be some feedback like, well, if you'd only done this. So, for example, uncouple the trade show from the conference. Because there are some small conferences now that are successful for couple of hundred people to, sh- to show up and participate. And I think those tend to be very specific to kind of technologists. Is that a working model for something, somebody like IDG or is that too small potatoes or is it just that there isn't, you know, it, it's fine when it's in a, held in a church somewhere, but in terms of a real public event, is that a workable thing? Well, it may be, you know, and uh, interestingly enough, we haven't seen a lot of people do that, right? So, yeah. you know, as Macworld has fought for whatever market share we've had over the past four years, you haven't seen a lot of people come in and say, well, I can do it better and, and try something different. So I, I think that that's very telling. I think that um, we've tried a lot of things. I mean, yeah. you know, we moved our price point on the conferences down to $75, something that used to sell for five, $600, $75. And even that, you know, even with the amazing talent that we have in the Apple market, people who are teaching classes, the content was always very relevant. You know, uh, there was still a lot of things going on, um, but but the conference itself was enough of a draw as it was. So um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of armchair quarterbacking they, if they just had. Or, but I, I'm here to tell you, as someone who lived it and sweated it <laughs> every day since 1997, um, these are hard problems. You know, um, it, they're they're problems of perception and perception of value and perception. You know, did Macworld make people's radar? over a certain period of time. And at the end of the day, remember this is, it was a show about Apple for yeah. 26 years, mm-hmm. right? And um, and without Apple, you know, it was a show about community. And while I think that's a noble and valid approach, I mean, you know, it's it uh, didn't prove big enough to have the emphasis that we think a Macworld branded event or publication should have. And so that's, again, another reason why we're rethinking it. Well, do you think that the community is aging out you know, to the to the extent that there were people who were very loyal to Apple early on when they first came out, and particularly in the beleaguered days, and those people now are older, yeah. and they're not rushing off to trade shows, or maybe they are, uh, but younger people aren't so much. They're getting the information from, the, I mean, we certainly, again, seen that with Macworld and print, that our audience was aging out. Uh, people in their 20s and 30s, they learn everything from the internet. They don't need to come to a trade show. So is that another challenge that any trade show faces in technology? Well, my, my perspective is this, is that, yes, the core audience that kind of uh, made Macworld you know, famous as a, as a gathering place for technology enthusiasts. And like I said, we've had many of those people who have been with us for all 30 years. Um, those people are certainly getting older. Someone, uh, interestingly, coined the term the grayification of Macworld. And, um, you know, I think we continue to see those people and those people go to trade shows. Building an event that would expand the audience to, you know, new generations. Now, obviously, Apple has lots of fans. I mean, their their success is tremendous. Um, 
and their their success spans all different types of demographics and age groups. Um, so it's not that there aren't younger fans out there. It's I believe they didn't grow up understanding the the impact and value of what Macworld had to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't go to trade shows or right. conventions. Right. They love to go to events and meetups and you know and 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 add to their online social presence with physical. So if it's the right type of mix, and again we tried a lot of things. You know, we tried music festivals. We tried um, interesting concerts with uh, with uh, younger bands that are using Apple technology, um, film festivals, meetups. Um, we did a DJ competition one year. I mean, we tried a lot of things that we thought would you know, start to attract. And, and while interesting and I'm proud of what we attempted to do there, um, they didn't resonate. Those who came loved it, mm-hmm. but it didn't resonate in big enough numbers to give us the indication that we were on the right track. And that was what was going to help the Macworld brand resonate with with uh, new generations of attendees right and also I, I don't want anybody to think that i'm blaming um people not showing up because san francisco is an expensive town for people to fly out in the middle of whenever it's an expensive proposition so this wasn't a cheap thing and i admire the fact that you did everything you could to make prices you know drop prices so people could attend and that was fine for people who live locally but it was harder to get a draw simply because san francisco is maybe the most expensive town in the U.S. today, maybe other than New York, I'd agree, and and I'd add to that. We were surprised at the impact of of how many people would come to the show specifically just to put their foot on Apple's carpet in yeah. their booth. We got notes of people who um, would buy our most expensive conference passes. Um, with notes saying, I just need to be in the same room to breathe the same air as Apple. I yeah. mean, you know, so the amount of of people who were coming because specifically it was about Apple, not about the broader third parties and, and not about other things. Um, you know, I, I'll own that one. We underestimated and, and we felt that, you know, based upon our community, um, that there was still a, a thriving proposition. I mean, you know, and, and there there is to some degree, mm-hmm. you know, our last show, you know, had nearly 15,000 people and, and, and uh, you know, over 200 exhibitors. And, you know, that's not a small show in many areas, but it's the makeup and what people are willing to pay to you know, attend these types of things. At the end of the day, it was just a business decision. I'll be back with more from Paul Kent after this word from The Great Courses. Most of you are listening to this podcast because you like to learn new things. And I've always been a curious learner, too. That's why I love The Great Courses. The Great Courses, which has been in production for over 20 years, are engaging video and audio lectures taught by top professors and experts in their field. Listen to or watch The Great Courses with online downloads and streaming via their apps or on DVDs or CDs at your own pace, and there are no exams. They offer over 500 subjects, including science, history, music, photography, and much more. Now, I'm currently watching their Understanding Investments course by Duke University's financial economics professor, Connell Fullenkamp. Now, I'm watching this particular course because, well... It's long past time that I learned something about managing and investing money. In the course, I've learned about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, market cycles, diversification, and the miracle of compound interest. It's a subject I've found intimidating in the past, but thanks to the course, I'm starting to get a handle on it. I'm not ready to be a day trader, but at least I can now understand the monthly statements I receive and carry on an intelligent conversation with a broker. I've gotten a lot from it, and I think you will too. Here's how to give it a try. The Great Courses has a special offer for Macworld listeners. Order Understanding Investments and get 80, that's 80% off the original price. 
But this 80% savings is only available for a limited time. Don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. That's thegreatcourses.com slash Macworld. Let, let, let's, let's think back and let's reflect positively on the great things that happened. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, well, first of all, when did the show first start? Ah, so um, 1985. So a year after the Mac had launched, um, uh, a man by the name of David Bennell, who was the founder, original um, editor, publisher of uh, Macworld Magazine, um, came up with the idea to do the trade show. Um, he brought it to IDG, and IDG was his business partner on it. And in 1985, at Brooks Hall, sharing space with a boat show, <laughs> a hundred, nearly a hundred exhibitors um, participated. And I think the big thing that year was people clamoring around a uh, a giant sized Mac that was demonstrating Lotus Jazz. If you can remember Lotus Jazz, you know, a a, a predecessor of, uh, not much before, but of Microsoft Office. And so 1985 is where it all began. Now, was that strictly exhibitors or was there any kind of conference going on at the time? There uh, There was no conference that first year. Yeah, okay. So then it went to, eventually it went to two cities. Right, 97, I believe, was the first year that it went to Boston as well and mm-hmm. lived in San Francisco in the winter and Boston in the summer uh, for many years. The Boston show eventually moved down to New York. Right. Um, and we were in New York for a couple of years. And then the Boston show moved back to, the uh, New York show then moved back to Boston, but Apple didn't want to participate back in Boston. And so we did one, two shows in Boston, and then that was... Uh, that was the end of the, the story in Boston. But the San Francisco show, you know, has been produced, you know, put on 30 years. 2015 would have been the 31st presentation of Macworld. But 30 years of history. It's really amazing. It is amazing. Um, and then there was kind of an uptick in the show that, because I remember going, well, I've been going since uh, late 80s, maybe, mm-hmm. early 90s. Um, and then when Steve Jobs left and Apple was in the beleaguered days, um, there would invariably be the CEO presentation. And um, they were not must-attend events. It was sort of like, do I feel like getting up early to go see whoever get up there and yammer on for a while about what uh, Apple is doing? Or was it really like, oh, no, I'll sleep in a little bit and I'll start, I'll hit the show floor with three bags and spend four hours walking around gathering stuff. Um, and then that changed when Steve Jobs came back, right? Yeah, so the mid-90s were you know dark times for Apple. And you know some reports had Apple within 30 days of closing its doors before Steve came back. But then in August of 1997, and the very famous keynote that Steve did his first time back at the show um, with uh, the Bill Gates hovering yeah, yeah. overhead and, and, and Apple announces, Steve announces, uh, investment by Microsoft, and and from then that point on in '97, the renaissance, the reemergence, the you know the phoenix was was about to rise, and and it was that period of time from '97 until the iPhone announcement in 2007. I I would say it was is the most dynamic, interesting, fascinating, um, inspiring period of time, certainly the technology industry, mm-hmm. um, but you could say in American business, right? I mean, just the meteoric rise and the amount of amazing products and uh, the transformation of a, of, a, of a company and a culture. And it was really kind of an interesting thing, because if you remember back in the, certainly in those days in the 80s through the mid 90s, Macworld had this feel of um, this kind of counterculture war, right? Yeah, yeah. It was us versus them. It mm-hmm. was the Mac users versus the Windows users. It was Apple versus Microsoft. And that was a large part of 
uh, the reason for being. You know, Macworld was the physical place where people came to be amongst like-minded people, right? You know, like-passioned people who felt that there was a better way and that computing could be better for people and, and inspire uh, artists and um, and uh, engender productivity and creativity. And uh, so that's what Macworld is about. And then '97, you know, a path began um, where Apple. Um, changed the world. I mean, it really was a remarkable thing to have a ringside seat as I did for those for those next 10 years were really fantastic. Well, and also, these were the days before Apple was calling events of its own. I mean, they would do the occasional one, but everybody was looking forward to what was going to happen at Macworld, particularly in January, because that was kind of the big time that Apple would release new stuff. And they said, what's going to happen at Macworld? So, I mean, certainly the show's profile was raised a whole lot because this was sort of get downtime for Apple. Like, let's see what they've got. And um, and I always look forward to those things every January, not only because it was great to just attend, but to see what Apple was going to pull out of the hat. And I thought the marketing that was just fantastic. Well, they became bigger and bigger and, you know, more uh, speculation and, and uh, you know, people starting to sleep outside overnight in order to oh, yeah. you know, make sure that they got in. Like I said, people from around the world, you know, would, would buy the conference pass at the level that would get you into that keynote. And, and uh, you know, rarely did Apple disappoint. I mean, the celebrity participation. I remember, um, you know, John Mayer at 2004 mm-hmm. with the GarageBand and 2005 with GarageBand 2. I mean, and then again, 2007 with the iPhone announcement. I mean, that was, those were fantastic. The demos. Um, yeah, that's, that's what Macworld was, Chris. It, it, it was the place where people could touch Steve Jobs and Apple in a way that they really couldn't ever elsewhere. I mean, the stores really hadn't, you know, begun to flourish by then, you know, certainly till yeah. the mid 2000, late 2000s. Um, and that's what Macworld was a large part about it. We played host to a theater that was unlike any other. I mean, you know, things that you would, people today are still going to be telling their grandchildren about when they witnessed, you know, name the product that went out. Yeah, well, I've seen just the things on um, Twitter recently. They're talking about oh, the 90 some, 99, 97 introducing a, uh, introduction of Wi-Fi. Steve Jobs is showing that off, and people are just going, oh, that is amazing. Absolutely. And now we just take you know that for granted. Or I was at the uh, launch of the iPhone event, and I remember where I was sitting. I remember exactly what Steve Jobs looked like. Um, but this, this is kind of my point that I'd made before about Macworld was kind of the last place where public could be a part of that yeah i mean just about every other company's product introductions still to this day are done you know amongst a closed circle of industry advisors press analysts you know those types of things but that was i think one of the reasons why the vibe was so amazing at those things i mean it was those kids and grown-ups who were willing to camp out overnight yeah you know um, and the culture that, you know, we used to go and serve coffee to those people and just because we felt, you know, they're sitting out there in the rain overnight. Because yeah, yeah. So bad. I mean, and they were happy to do it. And that that is something that I'll you know kind of take with me through the rest of my life is being able to play host to those events that meant so much to so many people was a pretty rewarding professional gift. Yeah. Now, when um, when Apple left... Uh, Phil Schiller famously got on stage and said, look, we have the Apple store, which you can come to our store, and it's just like going to Macworld Expo, which those of us who love Expo kind of went, mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think one of the other backstories was that Apple didn't like being on somebody else's schedule. 
That's interesting to me today, given the release schedules of the iPhone and the iPad. I mean, it's clearly they're still on a schedule, but I guess it's the September October schedule versus the the Macworld Expo schedule. So, do you think that Apple at that point had enough felt like they had enough retail presence and enough confidence that they could just say, "Well, we're going to call an event. We don't we don't need to spend whatever they spent to to attend Macworld." Yes. Yeah, so, so um, starting with that. 1997 keynote in Boston, Apple began a process of uh, a, a path of success that bolstered their confidence, you know, increasingly with every smash it product. And, um, you, you know, remember, if they would have come to us and said, hey, you know, you guys keep doing it, you're doing a great job, you know, we love that the that the community loves Macworld, mm-hmm. but we can't commit to January being when we want to do things. I mean, of course, that would have been a conversation. We wouldn't have said no, yeah, <laughs> right? So, um um, I part of the path through Apple's success, my interpretation is that they um, began to want to control every part of their message and every part of their story. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, you don't see the Apple brand associated with any other things, right? right? I don't myself agree that the Apple stores, you know, was entirely their process, their thinking. I mean, it's a different experience, right? Yeah. And and certainly, one of the things that Macworld did was. It um, gave theater business opportunities to Apple's developer community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, w- I would like to think that those conversations were considered that, you know, being a part of Macworld is a way that we get to touch our customers in a very personalized way and give um, uh, a platform to our developers to, you know, do business. And, you know, so, so there are a lot of things that the, that the show did that was a very different experience from what the stores um Deliver. I mean, the stores are awesome, and they do a great job mm-hmm. of what they do. But they're different. You know, they're different vehicles for for touching customers. But I do think that that was a part of the the message and the lesson of watching Apple grow in confidence and in success was that their approach was we will control every part of our message, and um, and their need to work with third parties um, certainly decreased in many ways. And you know, Macworld, and, and also remember, you know. Steve wasn't well at the time. Right, right. You know, I think that that was probably part of the decision-making, you know, is they, you know, they had to make a decision. We were all waiting to hear if Steve was going to keynote in that that last Macworld. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all the news came out that Steve would not and Apple would not be participating in the future. That all got wrapped in together. So I think that those obviously are data points that, uh, that have to be considered into the what happened. I mean... I was on the phone call, you know, when the decision was handed to us, and I have my own interpretations as to, you know, how all the different factors that were lining up stores, Steve's health, Apple controlling their message, mm-hmm. how those all line up as to why that show at that time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it may have been inevitable, you know, that it was going to happen at some time. Um, as Apple began this path of saying, listen, you know, we really need to run our own ship in all ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I don't, I don't think it was personal. Certainly, we'd see them leave AES. They'd been, other shows they'd been attending for a long time, there was this steady process of them saying, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. And I think Macworld Expo was the last one where they finally said, okay, no, we're as just... As far as I know, that's right. Yeah, we're done with this yeah. stuff because we, we had the power to call our events. Um, Steve's health is, as you mentioned... Um, just to make it a little bit about you, 
Um, when did you come in? Because I know you'd been doing conferences before, and then you came in as a, you weren't an employee of IDG. You were a freelance guy, right? Yeah. So how did that all start? Yeah, so I uh, had started a business in the early 90s where I produced a trade show and a conference. It was actually more of a conference. There was a trade show component to it. That was called Mactivity. That was, you want to talk about a thin slice of a thin slice of the world. <laughs> we were helping whatever enterprise people there were who were implementing Apple technologies in 1991, Ooh. right? So like I said, a thin slice of a thin slice of the world. And uh, that show... Um, because I came from that world, um, it, it did very well. It resonated with a lot of people. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, but in that day, you know, similar to the Mac world, in that day, you know, there were 20 manufacturers developing Apple talk routers, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in, in the history of Mac world, remember, there were days when there were 20 developers battling for who would be the word processor on the Apple platform. You know, several companies who wanted to sell you storage and, and RAM and all these types of things. A lot of these, um, a lot of these uh, industries have shaken out, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's another part of the Macworld story. But uh, for me, um, activity was successful. Um, I, I brought it to IDG. It became part of the Macworld conferences and is now what is referred to as Mac IT. But in 1997, I uh, brought my Mactivity conference to IDG um, and I took took over as conference chair. And mm-hmm. I was conference chair from 97 doing all the content design uh, and all the conference offerings, 97 to 2006. Um, I joined the company as general manager of the Macworld event uh, from 2006 to this day. And so um, I've been involved with uh, this amazing rocket ship ride called Macworld since 1997. Yeah, because I know that, um, you know, I'd wanted to speak at Macworld for a long time. And um, as I was working at Mac user at the time, there wasn't a lot of... uh, lot of avenues for us to get in basically it was macworld editors who were doing much of the content when you took over that was sort of a a breath of fresh air for a lot of people because it became much more inclusive um not just to the macworld folks but people all over the place basically as i recall you were saying who do you know who's interesting what do they talk about bring them in have them talk to me and um, over the years, I saw the content grow in some really spectacular ways. So that um, as Apple made changes, the content changed as well and expanded into things like iLife and into iWork and into entertainment and um, kind of away from that core geek stuff that I think was representative of the early days. Yeah. And, uh, when I came, you know, I'd, I'd spent even though my conference started in 91, I'd been working in the Apple market since 1986. So almost as long as there's been a Mac, you know, yeah. I've been working in the industry. And um, I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with a circle of really, really, really smart people. And, you know, we all know that the, the cultural rise of kind of the Apple passionate person, you know, started with the users groups, mm-hmm. you know, Berkeley Macintosh users group, Boston uh, Macintosh users group, Stanford Mac, um, all of the users groups provided that early vibe of people helping people, which I thought was... It was just still struck me about this kind of um, collaborative, supportive environment for technologists where it wasn't geeks, you know, at odds with the normal everyday user. And this was the spirit of what the Apple industry started to cultivate. And that's what I wanted to continue doing. The conferences had been going on in San Francisco and in Boston for many years. And there was a cadre of you know wonderful people who were participating. But when I came, I really wanted to expand. And I looked, uh, I cast as wide a net as I can, and it was two things. Someone who's really smart, but also someone who could 
maintain that vibe of what it means to speak to an Apple loving audience. Yeah, yeah. And th- those were the types of things. And I, I think over the years, the conferences were very, very highly rated. People got a lot out of them. We had a lot of nice notes from people who appreciated how it em- empowered their uh, creativity. You know, it, that normal people, you know, would start using their Macs for composing songs mm-hmm. or composing pieces of art. Um, how small businesses put Apple products to work. I think we touched a lot of areas that really helped people use the technology in ways they didn't know. I mean, it, it was accessible, but sometimes you just needed someone to calmly guide you through the three or four things you needed to do in order to get going with it. And, and the conferences did very well for those people, kind of the average person. But we always wanted to maintain that um, that the power users could still come and find those hidden features mm-hmm. or, or learn how to put together those, how to put to work those hidden features. And so designing an event that you know had a price point and accessibility for you know house dads and house moms uh you know for students but also still have content of appeal for power users that was kind of our vision and that again very different there's not a lot of conferences out there that would even attempt that but the apple industry was different and we appreciate smart people we appreciate uh um, you know we 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 base everything based on on Steve Jobs' presentation style, that it's kind of mm-hmm. you know what you kind of hold up for what a meaningful presentation is, and luckily, that's something that filtered down on a lot of people when they prepared to speak at MacWorld. They knew they had to speak in a way that could be grokked, you know, by yeah. the average person. But they had to have clue. They had to know their stuff. They had to be well prepared. And we had a lot of magic over the years with the with the conference sessions. I think so too, and and I completely agree with you about people who shared the passion of the people in the audience. Um, I spoke at, at the show for years and years and years, and some of the people that came to my presentations year after year have become my friends. I mean, they're people that I would see every year and say, hey, how you doing? And I have a beer with them, or you know, if we at the uh, all-star party, hang out with them, kind of talk about the old times, talk about the cool stuff that's happening in there. So there wasn't, unlike I think a lot of other uh, conferences and, and lectures, it wasn't sort of like, Here's the speaker on a lofty platform, and then here are the little people down there who, who absorb the knowledge, and then they go away. But all of you, I think, were engaged in this spirit of, like, look at the cool stuff that we can do with this technology and enhance our lives with it. And I do think that was a very unique thing. And, and of course, that's going to be one of the things that I miss most about it is the not just the social, but the sharing. Yeah, that's sharing mentality. I mean, this starts, you know, when I was doing activity back in 91, we used to have Apple engineers who were so excited to have a stage by which they could show mm-hmm. the subtlest of features that they were incorporating to these products. And and it is that spirit of sharing. And then, you know, the, these amazing people who were hosting these user group communities, you know, that was what it was all about. It was, you know, this is within your grasp. It, it was like um, it's a very thin veil between the stage and the audience, right? The guy yeah. on stage, the, the person in the audience could very well be the person on stage the very next year. And that's what we were always looking for. I mean, those kind of success stories of people who were inspired to develop something or put something to use that could help a thousand other people. And yeah. we're always on the lookout for, for presenters who, uh, you know, if they came from, from within our audiences, even better. But um, it's been an it is. It's a remarkable community. You know the the vibe and spirit, the kindness, the um, um, it's just good people. You know, and and I think not to get overly melancholy, but you know that is the thing. A macro for me was, 
you know, you start early in the morning, you know, in the days when Apple's there, you know, a keynote checking on the people in line, mm-hmm. you know, be, oh, this room is too warm. Oh, you know, this exhibitor is too loud. Always, you know, very, very constructive. And people were always like, thank you. This means a lot to me. Yeah. And to have a job where people say thank you all the time has been an incredible thing. But then at the end of the show, invariably, there would be these groups of people who were the hardcores. They didn't want to leave. They yeah. would stay until we made them go. And just to get the reminiscings from them as to how good a show it was for them or how much it meant to them, that's been, Chris, un- unbelievable. It is, it, is, it is those memories that you know will sustain a professional career. I think for a lot of us, we grew up at Macworld, oh, yeah. right? You know, we professionally, you know, made contacts, sold our products, demoed our products. I mean, we got a nice note from Ben Kaufman, who's the CEO of Quirky. Quirky mm-hmm. is a you know company that's gone on to do great things. They pretty much launched their company at Macworld. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, the folks at Real Max, that's an established quality software manufacturer, were showing you know hidden hidden um, first looks of, of clear, mm-hmm. um, you know, using Macworld as a way to, you know, gauge and say, hey, here's what we've done. That vibe of innovation, support, um, it, it's it been an amazing ride. You know, 30 years, there's not a lot of shows that have been around for 30 years that have meant as much to people as what Macworld has, um, has been, like I said, a, a ringside seat to one of the most amazing um, technology, if not business, if not personal stories that I think someone could go through. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, let's talk about a couple of highlights. I mean, you've been in this, you've been watching this show for years and years and years. Are, are there any moments that really stand out? Like, I will never forget that. That was so great. There's a bunch of them. You know, I think for me, uh, 2007 and the iPhone introduction and having Cheap Trick play our party that night, oh, yeah. which was really cool. And, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the way we got Cheap Trick was I knew that they were at the show the year before walking the floor. So I looked him up in the attendee database and sent him a note saying, hey, would you like to play our party this year? Rick Nielsen said, sure. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much it. And that was the type of thing. You know, the celebrity sightings, you know, the, you know, um, you know, obviously Robin Williams is one of the most, probably the most famous one. Um, the, uh, the band Aerosmith, a lot of the guys from Aerosmith had walked the show, obviously Cheap Trick. Um, the celebrity sightings just added to the culture. Um, people getting excited over um, over show specials, especially in the early years when exhibitors literally didn't want to ship anything extra, pay to ship stuff mm-hmm. home, so they would clear it out of their booth at crazy prices, and there were you know that became part of the culture and the vibe of of what made a consumer show so interesting back then. The iPhone introduction, I, I think, would be a highlight. The Garage Band is you know I'm a musician, and so that you know that was fantastic. Um, I, I really enjoyed the year I got to interview Josh Gad and Ashton Kutcher. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, the movie didn't do very well, but I still to this day think Ashton was a remarkable uh, Steve Jobs. Um, and that's a pretty big star getting, you know, touching the Apple industry in an interesting way. And for us to be able to bring that to our audience was pretty cool. That year, um, also, Will I Am, you know, introduced an Apple accessory, you know, for the iPhone, lenses yeah. for the iPhone. And um, that was pretty remarkable as well. So that, those are more recent things. You know, the music festivals have been great, the concerts, the parties, the celebrity sightings. But at the end of the day, it was all about this constant stream of passionate innovation coming from the development community. And the way we as users um, um, lauded um, uh, intelligence and creativity, you know, that just watching that, you know, the, the thousands of companies and tens of thousands of products that came to market uh, at our show 
is something I'm very, very proud of. Everyone on our team is very proud of. Um, it, it is something that kind of drove us, you know, you know, what is, what's going to be the things this year? And, um, you know, let's make sure we do everything we can to put on a show so the buyers and sellers can find each other and, uh, and then we'll have done our job. And, and so the answer to your question is it's, a, it was always about the products and the products, uh, are the things that, that I think most people remember. Um, I saw that product that year. I saw this product that year, whether it was apples or whether it was some third party product that totally helped somebody in some overt or, or, or subtle way. Okay. So what's next for you? Well, I'll be um, now working on the Mac IT event. As I mentioned before, the Mac IT event is very successful. That's our event for enterprise professionals who are putting Apple technology to work in the enterprise. There's a lot of work to be done there. We've been running this event for several years, and you know this is the where I come from. Um, so uh, we're going to be making announcements uh, around the first of the year as to when the next iteration of Mac IT will happen. But that's our plan: is to make Mac IT. Um, you know, the best event it can possibly be for enterprise professionals. Okay. Well, um, I think I can speak for all our listeners um, that it's a sad day to see Macworld Expo, Macworld iWorld uh, go on hiatus. But at the same time, I think we have to be grateful for everything that happened and particularly to you. I know how much work you put in year after year after year making this a success. Uh, We'd love to see this go on forever, but... Reality is reality, and so that's just the way these things work out sometimes. But um, from the listeners and from me, thank you so much for everything you've done. I sincerely appreciate that, Chris. It, uh, the Mackerel brand, Pat McGovern, IDG, um, we were very conscious of being caretakers of something very, very special to people. And I hopefully, you know, it's, it's sad that it's not going to be happening right now, but hopefully together we can all remember the, the, a lot of memories that were made a lot of great times that were had and again being witnesses to watching an industry go up go down and then go up again right in front of our very eyes it was a remarkable ride i'm privileged to have been a part of it and i just want to thank everybody who's listening all the developers all anyone who's ever attended the show anyone who's ever spoken for us on behalf of our whole team at idg um, it's been incredible and thank you so much And that wraps up this edition of the Macworld Podcast, brought to you by The Great Courses, learning at your pace, whenever and wherever you like. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. 